0: This is the History Worth Saving Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly. On this show, we're talking to makers this month. And today is no different. My guest is Frank Allen Rogers. Today, he's a fiction writer, but he got his start by writing for a company that a lot of folks will remember. Some may not, but if you're a maker, then the name Heath means something to you. The Heath Company, Heath Kit. They made everything you could possibly imagine in kit form. So if you were an electronics guru and you always dreamed of building your own ham radio kit, Heath made the kit. And Frank Allen Rogers was the technical writer, one of many behind the instruction manuals, behind all of the corporate documents, all of that stuff. Frank knew how to do, and he was very good at it. Nearly 20 years he wrote for Heath. But then this light in the back of his head grew brighter as his career went on and eventually Frank Allen Rogers retired from a day-to-day job he owned his own business for a while and embarked on this quest to become a fiction writer his latest book called glitter on the rocks is out and I'm proud to call Frank a friend we're members of the same writers guild but the reason that I wanted to have Frank on is because He got out there and he made it happen. He worked an entire career. And then, then there was this pivoting moment where he said, you know what? I've always wanted to do this. It's time to do it. I'm not gonna let that inner critic, that voice in the back of my head, hold me back. I'm just gonna go do it. And he's doing it very well. So take notes today because Frank is someone that I pay attention to and that you should too. Frank, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you, Matt. Happy to do it.
0: So I remember Heath and I remember all of these wonderful things that you created and allowed Americans and really people all over the world for that matter to open their imagination and and dream of a world that was bigger than theirs. Whether it was the ham radios or the signal generators or whatever it was, Heath made all of that stuff possible and affordable for so many people. What was it like? to be a part of that.
1: For me, it was a real treasure. I had always been interested in writing. And when I got a chance to write for Heath company, they were known even at the time as the best technical writers in the world. And when I took a class at the university of Michigan, they used Heath company manuals as their teaching tools so i was really honored and i thoroughly enjoyed the job what was
0: the hardest thing that you worked on while you were there i wanted to ask you that i was thinking about that last night because i know there were some stuff that in no doubt was more challenging to build than the other Did, Do you have a uh, you know a coup de gras there that you really <laughs> that you just really love
1: we sold everything you, almost everything you can imagine that you could put together in kit form we turned it into a, to a kit form. It went from stereos, ham radios, of course, to boonie bikes, and just about everything in the, the audio department, speakers, etc. The toughest thing I remember was actually a car alarm that you would fit to your fit to your own car, because there were so many extreme variations. You know, so many different kinds of cars on the market, we wanted it to fit all of them if we could. And that was a that was a big challenge.
0: I just I think about Heath and I think about how challenging this stuff was to make. I mean even back then, if you're saying it was a challenge back then, then it must have it it would just be impossible today because I I don't think it's that we couldn't do it, I think it's that we don't know how to do it today agree or disagree on that
1: i yeah i would agree with that 100 percent. unfortunately the company is no longer in business for a couple of reasons i guess but i think one of the biggest ones is that the our uh, customer base had been cultivated over the years they published uh heath company published magazines uh every quarter for whatever they had new and featuring all the the existing kits, of course, also. And we built up uh, quite a, a customer base over the years. And though it doesn't sound like a lot of money now, there, uh, at one point we were selling more than $100 million worth of kits every year. So we had a, a, a decent customer base.
0: You know, I think part of it, I, I mean, just exploring this, because what's so interesting about this to me, especially from a historic perspective, is that Americans back then, uh, talking, you know, all the way back from the 40s on, really, and even before that, were, were incredibly inventive and we were, we were tinkerers. We were always in our shops doing something behind the house or building something, but part of that was out of necessity. You couldn't buy this stuff anywhere. I mean, where could you go and buy a car alarm off the shelf? In a lot of cases, you, you did. You had to make it in Heath was sort of that bridge between where we're at today with China and all of these offshore manufacturers that can make this stuff so inexpensively, and and then where we were back then where we had the technology, but we didn't have a way to make it inexpensively and affordably for Americans. So Americans were inventive, and they they made it themselves with help from you and uh, your other writers at Heath. Do you think any of that stuff could work today, Is it, it? was it a better America back then when we were inventive and doing this kind of stuff, or is it, is it that we've just moved on from that and we've we've matured as a society and now we buy it? Where, where, where do you think that stands, Frank?
1: I'm not sure if uh, – I guess it depends on your uh, understanding of the word matured. <laughs> <laughs> so I sometimes think it's the opposite because it seems to me that during that time, Heath Company started in the – uh, late 1940s and I think as you just said there were a lot more people most most people as a matter of fact back then who relied on their own ingenuity and their own skills and whatever they, they had around them to, to make life better for themselves and uh, I, I don't believe we had that same society today most of the, the younger crowd grow up with everything done for them, and all they have to learn is how to operate it. Computers, cell phones, of course, and uh, a thousand other things. So I think it that the uh, our nation has, I don't know if you call it advanced, <laughs> certainly in some ways, but they've moved from that era when so many people – did things on their own.
0: Well, and I think it's only fair to mention that uh, today there are a lot of innovative Americans out there. They're doing things with the connectivity, though. I mean, today, our refrigerators and our washing machines, all of that stuff is connected now, and it has automated features. But the fact that you would build something like a washing machine or a car (laughs) alarm or a radio to speak around the world, I mean, that to me is a much different place. And, and you know, quite frankly, Frank, when I think back about the the Heath company and building some of this stuff, I mean, th- there was a lot of work that went into this from soldering all of the, uh, you know, the components on the board together and and then assembling the, you know, the, the actual structure of the device, whatever you were building, the case and all of that stuff. I mean, there was a lot of knowledge that, that went into that. And one of the things that does worry me especially right now as we're seeing the effects of of the pandemic on our country and so many other things it 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 does it it makes me wonder if if we've sort of thrown the baby out with the bathwater i hate to use that cliche or any cliche especially with a writer on the show but it's the truth well,
1: but it fits
0: yeah and so you know are we are we going to build victory gardens to feed ourselves or are we going to continue to buy cheap stuff from the grocery store i mean we've been worried about toilet paper for how many months now and i i'll never forget i was standing there in line at a store and a lady said i don't understand why people are worried about toilet paper they ought to be worried about food yeah. and you know that to me was this moment obviously an older lady than 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 you know than than myself but but she said that with such authority and such conviction and it just made me think you know my goodness our priorities are sure misaligned right now and moving forward from that you know well where do we go well part of that is understanding that hey this is where we came from there were guys like frank allen rogers who made a career out of this telling us how to assemble this stuff sort of holding our hand but it is a big jump if you don't know how to solder if you don't have any technical aptitude i don't know if you could do this the good news is some of this stuff is still on One of the world's greatest resources and that is ebay (laughs) so if you yes if you if you want to start building something like this or trying your hand at it well you can reach out to frank after the show and maybe he can call you with that calming voice and maybe walk you through steps a through b or something so let's get into this now about your book because you did you became a fiction writer and one of the stories that i love about this is your ride following the last trail of Billy the Kid. You've become a Western rider, at least I don't want to pigeonhole you, but you've become a Western rider and a darn good one. And part of this came uh, from inspiration on a ride that you took where you literally followed the last trail that Billy the Kid took. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yes, it was in 2005. And it's a, it's an event that happens every year in the spring uh, around the time that the, the real... Billy the Kid made his flight from Lincoln, New Mexico. And they we had, and I, the one I did, sorry about, the one I did had uh, 20 riders and a few people who, who worked with and for the riders. And we rode uh, across the desert, in the, in the high desert there, elevation is, was only 7,000 feet across the desert, over, over the top of a mountain, uh, down through the valley and through all kinds of brush, jumping arroyos, things I had never done on a horse, but it was an extremely tough ride for me and for a lot of other people too, but the highly experienced riders didn't have much of an issue. And during that trip, each night we would stop, at a ranch, a host ranch, we we slept outside, but we stopped at a host ranch and we got to know the the people who ran the ranch, etc, and even got a chance to participate in some of the activities, like uh, roping calves and branding them. I did not in, not thoroughly enjoy branding <laughs> branding a calves, but it was a, a unique experience. That was the first time I'd been on a horse probably in five years or so and it was a really tough ride for me physically. I got saddle sores so bad I could hardly walk until uh, one of the lady riders suggested that I she loan, loan, lend me a pair of pantyhose. <laughs> and I thought, I thought she was kidding, she wasn't. She said they'll make a world of difference, so I tried it and she was right, they did. And what I said, I think the day before the ride ended, one is that this would make a fantastic setting for a fiction story. and then the second one was within two weeks, I might be able to walk again,
0: yeah <laughs> without and without both, <laughs> and both
1: both of those happened. So yeah,
0: <laughs> I think that's great. What, what do you what did you take away about Billy the Kid because he's such an iconic figure in the american west. Uh, any any thoughts on that? I mean, there's a lot of people that think he went on to. Uh, to live a, a a normal life after all of that, and then there's the other school of thought that says no, he's he's he was dead right there. I mean, what what do you think?
1: Well, he didn't go on to lead a normal life because he didn't go on to lead any kind of life. He was taken out of action, shot by the Lincoln County Sheriff about uh, two or three months after he escaped, and he's he's buried in. In New Mexico, there yeah. at uh, Fort Sumner, and uh, so, the, <laughs> but I but I did gain a whole new respect for him, and I did some additional research before I started writing the book. Now, the book, my novel, didn't include him, but it's I, I gained a whole new respect for the man when I found out a lot of things that happened to him uh, along the way in his life as a, just a just a kid, as the name implies. And uh, I wanted to complete the ride for two reasons, because if we completed the ride, we got a little plaque that said we had earned our earned the name of, of Cowboy. And I also got uh, a license plate that says uh, Billy the Kid on it. So that <laughs> there was there some know. inspiration there. All that yeah, for a, all yeah, that for the,
0: a badge and a, a badge and a gun, right? So there you go. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> I love
0: it. I love it. Well, your your yeah. new book uh, it has nothing to do with Billy the Kid, but it has everything to do with the rodeo. I think that uh, this is a topic that a lot of Americans uh, can appreciate and understand. But glitter on the rocks. Talk to me about this because I, I read it over the course of about two and a half days. And as I as I sent you in a text message, you dirty rat! You've kept me up. To three in the morning for the last few nights and it's the truth i mean it's one of these books that you you get into it and you just it's you just want to keep getting to the getting to the end although that's should be the joy in it is uh but it's not it's a it's a it's a it's a book that you have to read it in a hurry and i think that's a good thing
1: well thank you Matt. all of my stories are inspired the first one of course was inspired by that ride i did in Glitter on the Rocks was inspired by a song that I had heard a few times it was released by Dan Seals several years ago and uh, the the title of that one is Everything That Glitters Is Not Gold and so I took that idea for a song and I contacted the songwriter and talked to him about it and he said, wow, that that song's got legs and we made a a deal. Wrote the story, and it, it, in spite of all the effort it took, I thoroughly enjoyed writing that story. I enjoy all of mine, but I, I, when I was done with it, I was satisfied that I had done a decent job with it. So thank you for your compliments.
0: No, it's a fun book to read. It really is. And I, having been around the rodeo some, I mean, you can see sort of the transparency in it all. Uh, if that makes sense, I mean there is a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, as as does in any type of sport or or way of life. But but you had a way of capturing these two characters in a, in a way that I thought was just really honest and and quite fun. And and so the the heartache and all of it is in there, but it's not a country western song. I mean this is not you know the, this is not a song about a guy that you know his dog dies and his wife leaves him. This is just a real look at it's something that is very believable and could have many names attached to it in all reality. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to read Glitter on the Rocks and, and say, you know what, <laughs> I, I know these guys. <laughs> have, have you had any rodeo cowboys come up to you and say just that, that they know this man or they know this woman? Because I'm guessing it is. there is a lot of truth in this.
1: Uh, I haven't yet, but I did see an article in a local magazine about uh, maybe a year ago or less and what this they interviewed a bull rider and the bull rider is the, the main character in my novel and i was i was honestly pleasantly surprised to see how he described what it's like riding a bull and i i was looking at my wife and we were talking about it. i said that's incredible that's that's almost exactly what i wrote in the story i do a lot of research I want my stories to be as authentic as I can possibly make them. And that one, that one took a lot of, lot of research. And I pictured myself on the back of a bull so that when I described the ride, it would feel real to the reader. That was my goal.
0: Well, I think you've done a nice job of it. You're, you're known for writing your dialogue. In fact, your dialogue is some of the best I've ever read. And it's fun to read your dialogue because it just sort of flows in a way that is so natural. And it's it's just a great it's a great read, and I would encourage anyone that A, likes rodeo stories, B, likes a good love story, and C, uh, likes to read uh, just in general. I think you would enjoy uh, Frank's latest work, uh, Glitter on the Rocks. It's a great one. Now let's talk about this this journey into writing, Frank. You've said you always wanted to be a fiction writer. Yes. If... if you know, and I, I know there's a lot of folks that fall into this category that have a great story that that have a an idea they want to write it. Well, you know, what do you what do you tell someone like that who's in that position that's always wanted to do this?
1: To go for it, absolutely go for it. Because if you have a desire in your in your heart to to write f- fiction or or whatever, it won't leave you alone until you do it. And you won't know the exhilaration from writing a book until you've done it. It takes a lot of hard work, a lot of self-criticism, I guess I should say. Being able to go back through your work, edit your own material, and and continually make it better before you, before you put the book out for publication. So there's a lot of effort that goes into it, but... If you're not willing to do that, you're going to sacrifice a dream that you may regret forever. I I would have had I not had I not written, not not decided to to give it a shot. I guess, first, uh, yeah,
0: the other thing too ahead. that I just wanted to point out is that it's not a race. There is no deadline. You can start, and if it takes you ten years to finish it, it it's okay. I mean, that's. that's completely allowable, right? Yes. So so don't worry about the time. Take the pressure off. Frank, you were saying.
1: I could not have lived with myself, I believe, had I not fulfilled that lifelong dream that I've had. And I say lifelong, and it's about what it's been since I was a sophomore in high school. uh, When I decided after a specific assignment the English teacher gave us, which I thought was stupid at the time, to be honest, Uh, analyzing a story, I didn't see any reason for it. I thought, if you like the story when you read it, fine. If you don't, you're not different from a lot of other people. They just, some people like it, some people don't. But I did the assignment, of course, and what I discovered in that assignment was one of the, for my personal interest, was one of the best things I had ever learned in my entire life. And that was that there's a lot more to a story than just the words on the paper and uh, what the theme of the story is. What, what's the author's intent here? What do they really want me to take from this? And I learned a lot from it, and I knew at that moment when it happened that I had to write fiction. I just had to. Now, later when I started writing for Heath Company, I thoroughly enjoyed that job, and I learned a lot by doing that writing fiction is considerably different of course than writing instruction manuals
0: but <laughs> right.
1: yeah yeah it takes it takes a lot more in-depth research but i learned a ba- very valuable lesson from a friend of mine that i made on that ride as a matter of fact he he was doing a he was a, he's a western writer and he was on that ride to get the experience of the ride itself and he was dressed as a Confederate soldier on that ride. I got a chance to talk to him later and then to do some exchanges on email and phone calls. And his advice was, when you write a story, treat it as if it were a movie and you're playing the part of every character you write, you have to think in their in their terms, you have to infiltrate their entire being and become that character each time you write about that character. And that has been a very, very valuable lesson for me. I've used that exact same approach on everything I've done since.
0: Your your books are available really wherever books are sold, but uh, where do you prefer people to buy them?
1: Well, I, I don't really have a preference in that regard. They're available, of course, on Amazon and also at Barnes & Noble. They're the two biggest sellers of, of my books. So you can, you can find all of them there. And if people, some people want uh, signed copies, which I'm flattered to do, and they order them from me directly and I signed them and I ship them to them by mail. So whatever works for the, for the reader certainly works for me.
0: What are you working on? Because that's, that's always the next question, right? You can't, you can't do a good interview would not ask that question. Are you working on anything? And I know the answer is probably a resounding yes. So yeah, I'm, let's hear I'm it.
1: <laughs> <working>. Okay, <laughs> I'm trying something um, a, a bit different right now. I'm writing one that's a true story written in, as fiction. That one's that one's pre- prevents or presents a bit, a bit of a challenge to me that I haven't been through before. And the other one I'm trying, I'm actually doing two at once. The other one I'm trying is a comedy. That's quite a challenge also. And I haven't set a deadline for either one of them because I, the way it's going, I know if I do, I'm going to miss the deadline. So I just didn't set one. Right. <laughs> but, but that's I, the I, way I, to do
0: it. I mean, really and truly, we said that it, it sort of jokingly earlier, but I mean, that's for the folks that are, are really interested in doing this. And I'll, I'll speak directly to you. Do not set a date in whatever you do. Tell no one that you're doing it because <laughs> that's even worse. <laughs> so, well,
1: it is, but it's but it's flattering when I get messages from from readers who say, "How long do I have to wait for the next one?" And how, uh, where can I buy your, your your latest book that's that's coming out? You know, etc. I uh, again, it's very flattering. But I try not to take it as pressure because it's kind of the last thing you need when you're when you're trying to be creative and writing a story. Uh, I, I do have four books on the market now, but um, I the, the fifth one I, I I cannot make any forecasts on when it'll be available. So
0: <laughs> well, I think it's great, and I'm I'm looking forward to. Uh... I'm looking forward to reading it when it comes out. But uh, Frank Allen Rogers, thanks for, for coming on and talking with us. Uh, if For those of you that, are, that happen to live in or around the Atlanta area, if you want to take a drive out to come and visit the Writers Guild, you can meet Frank out there. Uh, he's at most of the meetings. Uh, I think all of the meetings that I've been at, he's been there. And it's a wonderful guild, the Carrollton Writers Guild, uh, a wonderful, true Southern Writers Guild. I mean, you, you hear stories about Southern Writers Guild's all the time but uh i'm telling you this is this is the real deal you can come and hear it all and they meet in the arts center uh out here in western georgia at uh, at the Carrollton arts center and i would invite you to come out there you can find them online at the Carrollton writers guild uh, where frank's a big part of that and i and i i really have enjoyed uh coming out and um and experiencing that and it's something to be a a part of a southern writers guild isn't it frank
1: it is, and you're a great addition to the group.
0: Well, I don't know about that, but it sure has been. It, it really has been fun. I just imagine, you know, some of the, some of my favorite writers are from the South, and when you start thinking about the challenges that they wrote about and the the day to day habits of writers, a, a, a group like a guild is a wonderful thing to have because it does provide a little community, and it's people that are that are truly all after the same thing, and that is to tell a great story and to write a great book. And so I, th- I think it's a wonderful avenue to pursue. Uh, if, you're, if you're interested in writing and you want to do this, I think the, the, the odds are there is a great group uh, right there in your own hometown. So uh, take, take a look at that. But Frank Allen Rogers, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on here, and your story is certainly history worth saving. Thanks for being here, Frank.
1: Thank you, Matt, very much.
0: All right, folks. If you want to hear more from Frank Allen Rogers, take a look at his books. His latest, as I said, Glitter on the Rocks. It's a rodeo romance. A great story. And it's one that you're gonna read in a hurry. And if you don't, read it in a hurry. I don't I don't know. Maybe you're just you're just you're just better at, at that than me. <laughs> I had to get rid of that Netflix account because every time. I would turn it on. I had to watch seven episodes in a row. Then at three in the morning, you're going, why am I still doing this? It even asks you if you're still doing this. But hey, just turn it off. That's my advice. Just turn everything off and do something that you've always wanted to do during this time. Listen, I hope you've enjoyed the show. I hope you'll stick around for next week's. We're doing a weekly broadcast now. Sign up for the newsletter if you haven't done so already. And you can find it right there at HistoryWorthSaving.com. Next week, more great stories. And I hope, I hope that you'll share this show. We're trying to get to a thousand downloads per month, per episode, within the first 30 days. Then, hopefully we can roll out a new mobile app. A lot of things going on. We'll talk to you next week. So long for now, everyone.